All righty. Well, good morning, Spencer. It is a pleasure to be with you guys. I, uh, um, you know, I'm a youth pastor up at the Spirit Lake campus, but um, there's a handful of churches that I, I fill pulpit in, and, and this is definitely one of them as a, as a you know, a, another part of our church that uh, we're a part of your church that we, we do that with. But I just love it, and my family loves it. They had to be up there for children's church or children's worship today, so they're sorry they couldn't be here. But I love getting to come down here, and, and y'all might not know this, but I sneak in every once in a while and just listen to Jordan and, and, uh, and Pastor Stephen as well. So just definitely love this campus, and uh, whether I'm out there sitting or up here, love worshiping with y'all. So it's good to be here. Some of you have asked a little bit about the, the mission trip, because you know, the, the youth of this church just went on this mission trip, and the youth of, of the, Spencer, or the Spirit Lake church just went, and so uh, we just got back, and I'm not going to tell you a ton. I do have a picture up here. I'm not going to tell you a ton, because I think they're going to do a presentation, and maybe even a short video next week, and so that'll be cool. But I did want to put this up here. Uh, this was Pastor Stephen teaching, and, and really, I just want to start with two things. One, um, on these mission trips we go on, a lot of times when we're huddled up in a, in a circle before we leave, we pray for safety and for God to do what he wants on the trip. But I got to tell you, I always challenge our students before we go on a mission trip like this, and I just kind of tell them, hey, if you're part of our group and you've never prayed out loud, like that's just something where you're not comfortable doing it or it's kind of scary to you, this might be the perfect trip. You know, it's just a small group together. It was kind of a large group this time, wasn't it, Grant? But it's normally a little bit of a small group, and I say, this is a great time to just Start doing that, praying out loud to God. It's just talking to God. And, and that is one of my absolute favorite parts about mission trips, or sometimes it's like Hidden Acres camps, is what a blessing to get to hear sometimes for the first time a young man or a young woman talk out loud to God Almighty. It is so sweet. So that was some of what happened on this trip. But, but I want to put this picture up here just to brag on you guys for a minute. Um, <clears throat> you guys landed one heck of a youth pastor. Um, this guy led our devotions in the morning, and it was just so neat to see him. You guys are opening up the Word of God, and he's, he's getting up there and marking up the whiteboard. So I just want to kind of brag on Stephen for a minute. You guys landed a great guy. Um, in fact, my own children this morning, I told them I was coming down here to preach. And I go, you know, you want to come with me? Go, well, who's up in Spirit Lake? I said, Stephen. So you can tell them by myself, right? So, so just want to say great job on your guys. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and we're going to jump into the message today. And it is on prayer. It's on prayer. So that's kind of why I started with that. Lord, we just come before you. What a privilege to have your ear, to have your number, to be able to talk, converse, and hear from you. And Lord, we just thank you for that. Let us not take that for granted and let our prayer life not be lame. Amen. All right. With that said, um, the, uh, the message this morning is titled, The Best Part of the best sermon, of the best teacher ever. And I wanted to clear up right away. I kind of wrote that thinking of something in my head, but that, that's not referring to me, okay? So that's, I'm not promising anything big here, okay? This is, this is what I would say the pinnacle or one of the highlights of the Sermon on the Mount. And if you've heard of the Sermon on the Mount, a lot of you have read through the Sermon on the Mount. Most Bible teachers, but also a lot of secular people, would say this is the single greatest teaching ever. Like, if you could put one lesson and, and pull it and compare it against all others, this is numero uno. This is number one. And so this, I would say, is the best sermon, the best message ever. I think this is one of the highlights, one of the, the peaks of this message. And, of course, Jesus, I think, is hands down our best teacher ever. So if you would, please turn to Matthew 6. And we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 11 this morning. Now, I want to remind you, a couple weeks ago, Stephen preached on the last part of the Lord's Prayer, on, on um, the forgiveness part. So he had kind of two main points, I think. One was 
God's forgiveness for us and then our forgiveness for others. I listened to his message. He did a great job. So hopefully you're turning to Matthew 6. And as you do, I always like to give us a little bit of background. So let me go ahead and put a map up here for us. Um, this happened in, in the summer of 28 AD. I mean, we know right when it happened. It's in the second year of Jesus' ministry. It's during his year of popularity. People are flocking to him. They're loving what he's teaching. And it's just northwest of the Sea of Galilee. So, you know, if you follow the uh, Dead Sea is right there, kind of in the middle of the map, and you follow it north to the Sea of Galilee, that's kind of where Jesus grew up at. It's where he did most of his ministry. He was in northern Israel, um, and he's right up there, and he's just north of the Sea of Galilee. In fact, we've got a picture here of the area. I mean, we've actually got an idea of where this happened right there, okay? Overlooking the sea, Jesus has pretty good taste in venue, doesn't he? So it's right about there. Now, this was a uh, a chapel built in the early 1900s. So obviously that wasn't there. Jesus wasn't sitting in front of it. But they built that as a remembrance of the, the, the Sermon on the Mount. And so um, this is a big deal right here. This is where it happened. I always just like to remind us, it is so cool to me that we could literally hop in a plane, go over there, and sit where this stuff happened. Walk where Jesus walked. This happened. It's not fiction it's history. And I always like to start with that. So hopefully you are in Matthew 6. Uh, I'm going to actually back it up just a few verses to give us some context. So I'm going to read Matthew 6, verse 5 through 8. If you'd follow along, that'd be great. You don't have to read out loud. Just kind of follow with me as I read. <clears throat> Jesus is teaching disciples, and he says, verse 5, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the churches back then and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. So if I could reduce this to just kind of a, a couple lines, it'd be this. Hey, disciples, don't babble on and on and on. It's not about the long prayers. It doesn't mean you have to be quick and to the point. It doesn't mean God doesn't want conversation. It, it just means we don't babble. We don't have to do that. Number two, we're not using like different words. We're not using words we don't normally use. And if you want to slip one or two in there, that's okay. But what he's saying is just talk. Just talk naturally to God, it's conversation. And the last one is, and I think I do this sometimes even, he's like, don't pray for others. Like, you're not kind of praying so that you sound smart or you sound good in front of others. Just talk to God. If, if they're listening in, that's fine, but we, we kind of make it more difficult or more scary. It's just talking to God. So Jesus kind of sets them up with, guys, don't overthink it. Now, I'm going to put a, a picture up here, and, and I think some of you might have seen this movie. Uh, any, anybody ever seen Meet the Parents? Okay. Maybe some of you are like, I have, but I'm not going to raise my hand in church and say I have, okay? Um, I've seen Meet the Parents, and, and there is a scene of Meet the Parents. This is Greg. The whole, the whole movie, Meet the Parents, is Greg is going to meet his, his girlfriend's parents and ask permission to marry her. And so here's Greg, and, and they're sitting down to eat, and Greg's already got a string bean in his mouth, and his, her parents are like, well, aren't we going to pray? So he kind of pulls it out real quick, and they ask Greg to prayer. And Greg, and again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat his prayer for you. But, but this is Greg's prayer. And they've all got their eyes closed and their, their hands are crossed. He says, oh, dear God, thank you. You are such a good God to us, a, a kind and gentle and accommodating God. And we thank you. Oh, sweet, sweet Lord of hosts, 
for the smorgasbord you have so aptly laid at our table this day, and each day, by day, day by day, by day, oh, dear Lord, three things we pray. And at this point, everybody around the table is kind of like peeking at each other, like, what, what is happening here? Three things we pray, to love thee more dearly, to see thee more clearly, and to follow thee more nearly, day by day, amen. And it's just the most awkward prayer ever, and you can kind of tell that, that he doesn't pray a lot, and he's trying to sound impressive. Uh, we don't need to do that, guys. Jesus is basically saying, look, just talk to the Father. Okay, so I want to set us up with that, but then he does kind of give him a, a model to follow. He says this, and I'll go ahead and read 9 through 13. It feels really weird, even though I'm preaching 9 through 11. I don't like just cutting it off in the middle. So 9 through 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. And a couple weeks ago, Pastor Stephen took verses 11 through 13. I'll take the first ones today. I'll start with this. If you look at the word like right there, you look at the word like, I think it's important to notice Jesus didn't say, pray this every time. He didn't say this is exactly how, this is how you do it, and this is just, just repeat this, just repeat this, just repeat this. Now, some of you, I mean, I know in our churches, we do the Lord's Prayer occasionally, and I love it. I know some churches, they might do it every week, and I'll tell you this. I know some saints, some believers, some people that know Jesus, and every time that Lord's Prayer is said, they lock in on it, and they mean it word for word, and it is, it's, it's a very good connection. I also know there's a lot of people they come from some of the mainline denominations, and they say it every week, and it's almost like it's like you get on standby, and you're just robotically repeating words, and you're not even thinking about it. And that's the last thing Jesus had in mind here, was, was to give us something where we're just babbling. I mean, he just said, don't do that. Don't do that. So when it comes to the Lord's Prayer, I think it's really important that we understand it's a form, it's a model to follow. Now, um, I'm going to put some pictures up here of, of, of Taekwondo. Now, when I was younger, okay, and I, I would have been about six or seven years old, and I'm going to date myself. I was born in 77, okay? So when I was about six or seven years old, this movie came out, which changed my life, okay? You don't know this. If I wasn't a youth pastor, I would probably be a ninja. That was the other, that was the other go-to because this movie came out called The Karate Kid. Would you raise your hand if you've seen The Karate Kid? Excellent, you're going to be with me. So here's what happens. I go to see The Karate Kid. I watch it, and I'm not exaggerating it at all. I did not walk with my mother. I did not walk from the movie theater to the car afterwards. I literally did the crane. Like the whole three blocks. And we got in the car, and I said, Mom, Mom, I got to be in karate tomorrow. I, I, I mean, like, it's got to happen. At that time in Iowa City, there were no karate do dojos yet. There was taekwondo. So I get in taekwondo, and I'm in there for about a year, okay, about a year, um, I achieved the high rank of yellow belt, okay? So Grant, you didn't know this, but you were really safe on that trip. When we were in the park, you had a yellow belt there, so you didn't have to worry. Plus, I'd seen Karate Kid, so I knew how to do the crane. So anyway, so anyway, if your kids go on the trips with us, Stephen's a good guy, but you got a yellow belt, so just keep that in the back of mind. But when I was in Taekwondo, and we would test for the belts, there would be three things you'd be tested on. The first was board breaking, right? They'd hold the board, and you'd kick it, or you'd hit it, and, uh, and uh, you know, eventually they would turn the board so that the grain was with you, and they'd be pressing as hard as they could, and, and you'd break the board, right? The second one was this, this one on the right, which is forms. 
And forms are when you go through like your, you know, your kicks, and it's almost like a, a coordinated dance where, where you, you, you do the whole thing, and, uh, and it takes a couple minutes, but it's practicing all the, all the moves. And then last, you had sparring, where it was the first one to get like two out of three points. And, and I loved sparring. That's when they put every single like pad known to man on you and let you fight each other, okay? So that's sparring. Now, I want to ask you something. I want you to think of forms when you go through the motions, and I want you to think of sparring. If you, took, if you took two kids in there, and one of them said, they said, go, and one kid just started doing his forms, is he doing all the right punches and all the right kicks? Yeah, he is. But what's going to happen is that other kid's going to be like, oh, I know what you're doing. He's probably just going to walk behind him and kick him in the back of the head, right? Forms are helpful to learn the moves, but you don't use them in sparring or in protection, defense. Guys, I just want to tell you, when Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer, it is a beautiful prayer. It's a form. It's a model. It has things that we can learn from, things that we can use. We can certainly repeat it, but that's not where it stops. I'll just tell you, any married couple, if you had like a phrase that you used every day and that was your kind of communication, that's all you had, that's, that would never work, right? Prayer is communication, talking with God. So the first takeaway is this. Jesus meant to give his disciples a model to use, not a script to repeat. If you're the type that likes to follow along in your, uh, your bulletins, that's point number one right there, okay? The second thing, in verse nine, when he says, our Father who art in heaven, can I just kind of pump the brakes on this? Because I'm guessing you, like me, we've probably said this prayer hundreds of times in our lives. We've probably read this prayer dozens, hundreds of times in our lives. We've gone through it. But that's significant. So I'm going to let you know a little insider secret here, okay? I know Dave Schlickmeyer, I've known the Schlickmeyers a little over 10 years, right? Dave and I were talking this morning, and Dave, no pressure, says, hey, why don't you try to say something profound today, okay? No pressure, right? It's God's word. Something profound is coming out. It's not me. It's just God's word. But can I just tell you, Dave, this is it. Jesus says, hey, let's start off with this. You can call him dad. You can call him father. I don't care if you've read it 100, 1,000, 10,000 times. That's profound. And if you skip over it or you lose it or you had it for a season but you lost it, get it back because we get to address him as our father, as dad. That's huge. So our father who art in heaven. I'm going to refer to two verses here. You don't have to turn. You can. I think it's actually on the outline. Romans 8, 15 through 16. The apostle Paul says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Amen? Profound. Galatians, Paul again speaking, Galatians 4, 6 through 7. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, check this out. At that point of conversion, when we say, I do believe in you, I'm putting my faith in you, when we become a follower of Christ, I don't mean the family you were born into. I don't mean uh, you were baptized as a child. I don't mean you got perfect sense. I mean, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you get adoption into his family, justification. God now sees you, and even though Chris Snyder still has sins, he sees me through the cross as pure as Jesus. We get the Holy Spirit in us at the point of conversion. Freedom from sin, eternal security. Are you with me? Uh, is, that, is that good, Dave? Is that 
profound enough, boom, it's huge. Now check this out, and, and I don't usually break down the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic. I leave that for like Kurt and Jordan, okay? But, but that word Abba, that's a beautiful word. Now I currently have like a one-year-old nephew, and just this past week when I went on the mission trip with my three older sons, our youngest son went to Iowa City to be with our, uh, Bridget's mom and dad, and he got to see my nephew, and I told him, hey, while you're there, why don't you teach Thomas to say Uncle Chris, okay? Thomas hasn't said a word yet, and I, well, maybe he's got one or two, but why don't you just teach him Uncle Chris? I think that's a really big word for him to know. So, so Carson, you know, that's your job while you're down there now. Uncle Chris is a lot harder than Mama or Dada, right? A lot of times the first words our kids say in our culture is Mama, Dada. That rolls off the tongue. Phonically, it's easy. Uncle Chris, not, so I'm just assuming I'm still his favorite person. He just has a hard time getting Uncle Chris out. Abba, it's daddy. It's usually one of the first words a child will say in Aramaic, Abba, 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 Abba. It just rolls off the tongue, daddy. We are invited to come before God and address him as dad. I mean, are you getting this? Just to get to talk to him. If we had his number and could start out with, uh, holy sir God, thank you, Dad is how we start out. So, Dave, that's for you, okay? But that's profound. So takeaway number two, Jesus tells his disciples they can address God as Father, and the fill in the gap is, wow, W-O-W-L. He then goes on to say, hallowed be your name. And now we have what seems like a contrast, a juxtaposition, an, an issue. We're just told we can address God as Father, and the very next thing we hear is, he's holy, he is holy, 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 Isaiah says. He is set apart. He is separate from his creation. Somehow we are intimately allowed to come with him, to, to be with him, to speak with him, but he is wholly set apart. And, and I think that's just amazing. So that's the second thing we see there. Now, what do we do with that? Well, I'm going to show you. This just helps me. I, I, I often have to use like real things in real life, and I think that's okay. I think Jesus used farming parables to make sense to, to, to the people that he worked with. He used fishing parables to make sense of people he worked with. So a lot of times, working with teens, I gotta use something they've seen or something I've seen. So I'm gonna set this up. I'm gonna play a clip. It'll just be one second there, guys. I'm gonna set up a clip. This happened in December 2007. Uh, Jenna Bush, daughter of then-President George W. Bush, is on the Ellen DeGeneres show. And Ellen asks Jenna if she knows her dad's phone number, which I think is a funny question to ask. She's like, do you like know his cell number? And Jenna's like, well, yeah, he's my dad. And that's kind of where this conversation picks up. It's just about a two-minute clip. So I'm going to step out of the way. I'm going let, to let you guys roll it. But, like, could you just pick up the phone, like, right now and call him? Sure. Okay. <laughs> he's going to kill me, though. Maybe. <laughs> Come on, will you say hi? You think I'm allowed to what, do this? Why not? It, you're his I daughter. Mean, I'm covering the nobody's even looking. I'm not even looking. I don't want to get in trouble. I could get him really. No, we just, I just want to say hi. They're going to kill me. I'm going to be in so much trouble. Why? They're going to be thrilled. Why wouldn't they want to say hi to everybody and say hi? They may have wanted some warning. <laughs> just a hello. Hello. Hey, Did Jenna. It, hi, Mom. Hey, I'm not watching you because you're just taping right now. Yes, but what are you doing then? Well, I'm just sitting here with Daddy. Oh, hey, it's Ellen. I wanted to say hi to Daddy. Yeah, Daddy wanted to say hi. Okay. Dad? Hello, President Bush. How are you? This is the Ellen DeGeneres Show. Oh, that's great. Hey. <laughs> How's it going? 
She's scared she was going to get in trouble because I just said, is it easy to just pick up the phone and call, call your dad anytime? She said, yes. And I said, okay, well, then let's call him. And she goes, oh, and now she's scared she's not going to get any Christmas presents. <laughs> well, we just wanted to say Merry Christmas, and we thought you'd want to say Merry Christmas to our audience. I do want to say Merry Christmas to your audience, and I want to tell my little girl I love her. I love All you right. too, Dad. Okay, love you, Dad. Thanks. See? I went in trouble. No, you're not okay, in good. trouble. formed a friendship, but even, whoa, baby, this part must be really important, so. So they formed this friendship, but even now, when Ellen would talk to former President Bush, it's different than when Jenna does, because Jenna's his daughter, and I love at the end how he just says, and I want to tell my daughter I love her, okay? Guys, somehow this works out, and I don't have a big enough brain to explain it, but God is holy, 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 transcendent, a part, like, bigger than his creation, and yet he is intimately and very much interested in relationship and conversation with us, okay? So that's the second, or the third thing, I think, is that he is holy. The third point, verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, this, this is the idea that, you know, in heaven God is reigning, and in the future uh, God will reign over the heavens and the earth, but, but right now, it's not like he's not busy at all. There's kind of this already but not yet. But, but some of it could be already. So I think the idea here, and we could do like a whole series on this, but the whole idea of your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it kind of works like this. What if, what if all the Christians, what if all the people that love, know, and follow Jesus really lived it out like we're supposed to? How would that affect our communities, our, our, our homes, our communities, our towns, and our nation? It'd be amazing. Uh, what, if, what if this happened? What if you had a society where half or a majority of people lived by the Ten Commandments, lived by God's ways. Can you imagine if in most society, if most businesses ran that way where your employees were Christians? And, and, and I got to tell you this real quick. When I was in, Spir in Esterville, I worked over there for 10 years at a church, and the fairway in town, they did something. I don't know if it was on purpose or not, but they stumbled onto something really good. They hired a ton of our youth group students that were really solid in the Lord. And can I just tell you what happens when your employees love Jesus and do things his way, they don't call in sick when they're not sick. They show up a little bit early to work, and they work hard. They're not on their phones. They're working hard. They're good at customer service. Are you with me? If you're a business owner, I mean, that should just be like a given. Boy, if I actually had people that lived, I mean, I, I'm hoping they're Christians, but even if they just followed, the, they're going to be amazing workers. What if your bosses, your managers lived like this? gracious, caring, loving, others first. Can you imagine a business that would work like that? Okay, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, if we can live this out, it's gonna start changing or affecting things. Uh, what if we drove like that, <laughs> okay? 
Now, I'll just tell you this. I, in, in Spirit Lake and in Spencer, we're pretty courteous up here, okay? I mean, I, I think a lot of times people are pretty polite on the road. I was in Chicago three weeks ago, and I was in Denver two weeks ago, and it's a, it's a different world. Have any of you ever lived in a big city, driven in a big city? Orlando? Orlando is rough because Orlando's full of people that don't know where they're going, and the people that do are trying to dodge them. Okay, if you've ever lived in a big city, what if we actually drove in such a way that we were gracious, that we were patient? You know, there are times where I'll be going from Walmart to my house, which is about 4.5 minutes. I mean, it's not even five minutes. And I'll get behind somebody, and they might be going 20 and a 25. And it's like, I forget the Holy Spirit's in me. It's like, I'm impatient. I don't know how, I'm trying to shave off seven seconds on the road. I don't know what's going on, but I'm so impatient. And I have to remind myself, I'm like, you know what? Maybe that's a new driver. I have a 14-year-old that's got his permit, and he is so cautious when he's driving, which is a good thing. Maybe it's an older driver. Maybe it's somebody from out of town. They're trying to find this address. But regardless, I'm just confessing this to you. I have to remind myself to be patient with other people because I get impatient. But what if we all, when we drove, were like the fruit of the Spirit are in us? Like we're actually like loving and patient and gracious, gentle, kind, right? So what if we did that? I'll throw one, out, one more out here. And, and again, you could go about a thousand different directions like this, but you know, your will on earth as it is in heaven. What if teenagers and college students dated like this? Not for the sake of there's these rules of do's and don'ts, but we're just like, no, we want to do things God's way. Can you imagine how, I mean, I work with teens. How many less broken hearts? How many less angry, mad, broken friendships there would be? How many less, I mean, you can just go down the list. What if we did marriage this way? I mean, this is like premarital counseling I'm giving you right here, but the whole goal is, look, you got to die to self and put her first, dude. Look, lady, you got to die to self and put him first. That's how marriage works. So when, when, when we've got the Lord's Prayer and he says, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, just wrap your mind around this. It's like, what if we actually lived this game plan out? It would be stinking amazing. The problem is I mess it up a lot. We probably mess it up a lot. But I think that's what he's getting at there. Uh, the already, the not yet. Let's keep going. The last thing I'm going to cover today is he gives, and gives us this day our daily bread. And give us this day our daily bread, okay? Now, Point five is Jesus has his disciples pray for their needs. I'm going to share a quick uh, story that happened to me about three weeks ago. I help with a ministry called Global Friends in Okaboji. Over the summertime, we have usually hundreds, like six, seven, eight hundred international students and workers come in to the, the lakes area to work at the restaurants and the bars and the Arnold's Park and the, the hotels. I mean, we are flooded with international students. Now, I have a heart for missions. At some point in my life, God just cracked, broke my heart for missions. And so for me, it's like, man, the mission field has come to the lakes area. And a lot of them, by the way, stick around for the fair. So watch for those people. Pray for those people. So I help out with this ministry called Global Friends. We're on Sunday nights, and, and uh, uh, the Straubs help with this as well. So thank you. And you guys uh, hopefully are praying for this. But on Sunday nights, we get together, and we uh, do kind of a Bible study and, and do some games with them. But throughout the week... I've got this app where if somebody needs a ride, I try to go and give them a ride to where they're going. Are, are you with me? So, so help with the ministry, Global Friends. During the week, I drive a lot of them around. And on this day, one of the guys named Dane, who works out at Bridges Bay, needed to ride to Walmart. And I said, absolutely, I'll come get you. So I come get him. And, and as I'm picking him up, 
I see a gal going to Arnold's Park, again, from Bridges Bay to Arnold's Park, and her front tire is flat. And I said, oh, hon, you probably want to stop at like Boondocks or somewhere and pump up that tire because it's flat. So she gets going. About two minutes later, Dane jumps in my car. And as we're going down the hill towards Arnold's Park, there's this gal, and her front tire has not only been flat, it's now off the rim. And I said, look, we'll just, we'll just help you real quick. So I get her bike. I throw it in the back of my van. I give her a ride to Arnold's Park, Dane a ride to Walmart. We come back. And then I took her bike down to the bike shop in Milford to get it fixed, okay? That, and and I'm, I'm just, that's just, I wanted to help her out. As I'm doing all of this, I get that bike, I drop it off, and I'm driving back, okay? And as I'm driving back, I'm just having this time with God. I'm having this time with God. I'm like, God, I cannot imagine, like, I hate riding a bike, okay? Like, we have an extra car just in case a car breaks down, so I don't have to ride a bike. So I'm like, God, thank you that, and we don't have, like, we don't have nice cars, but they, they get from point A to point B. I said, thanks that we got cars, God. I said, I cannot imagine having to ride a bike around town on these hot days. And yet, please listen, these international students are grateful for the very bike that I would be grumbling about. They are grateful for a bike with two working tires. They're so thankful. And I'm just having this moment with God where I'm like, God, thank you for the things I have. Please help me be content. Lord, and I'm praying for the international students. And then Satan struck. Satan struck. Check this out. I've got a picture up here. It was in the form of a 2020 Corvette. So I'm at a stoplight. And I'm literally praying and thanking God. And this car rolls up. Boom. It wasn't Satan. It was my own selfish sin, okay? A boom. The next thing I know, I'm looking at this car. And I'm like, man, that new model is amazing. And I'm like, I know how much they cost. They cost about 100 to 110,000. And I start doing math in my head. And I'm like, you know, my youngest son is 10. I got about eight more years of, you know, having to. And I'm like, I wonder in eight years how much that car would be worth. And I'm doing all the math. I'll bet it's around 40 to 50,000 in eight years. And we won't have kids in the house. And, and I don't know, we'll be about done with college. And I'm doing the math. And it's like I get this little tap on the shoulder from God. And it's kind of like God just says to me very gently, where were we? <laughs> you were saying? And it's like, I just, I'm so easily taken away from the daily bread. And I start worrying about daily steaks and daily barbecue and daily whatever it is. Sushi, right? Hey guys, I want to tell you something. It is not bad to ask for a reliable car. It is not bad to want the financial uh, peace to go on a family vacation. It is not bad to want to help your kids get through college. Okay, I'm not saying Wanting, wanting good things is bad. What I'm saying is, it's not healthy when you're asking God to work on contentment if a Corvette pulls up next to you and the next thing you do, you're doing math. So I'm confessing that to you, okay? But Jesus' point is, if we can be thankful for the daily bread, that'll help us be content, okay? And we ought to be thanking him continually. Um, one thing, I'm just gonna throw this in and I'm gonna get back. One thing I see often get me, get students, and get adults off track is wanting things we don't have, and all of a sudden we act like God cheated us somehow. Like, we have so much. We have so much. So let's keep going here. Um, I got five takeaways I gave you, and then we're going to do a little bit of application. First takeaway, Jesus meant to give his disciples a model to use, not a script to repeat. Two, Jesus tells his disciples they can address God as Father, W-O-W, wow. Three, Jesus acknowledges God's holiness. Four, Jesus teaches his disciples to ask for God's will to be done. And five, Jesus has his disciples pray for their needs. All right, so um, what I want to look at now is three points of application, and the first is this. There are different ways to pray. 
in this prayer right here that Jesus gives us, we see three. We see adoration, okay? Uh, you are awesome prayers. He calls God holy, okay? We were just out in the mountains with some of our teens. Mountains help me connect with God, see him as this amazing creator, and it's just easy to say, God, you rock. Now, this is a prayer, prayers of adoration, or you are awesome prayers. There are no strings attached. It's not, you're awesome because you gave me this. You're awesome. It's just, you are awesome prayers, and we see that in this one. We also have requests or please prayers. So we have your awesome prayers, we have please prayers. These are things where you do pray for your daily bread. You might pray for somebody that's sick, somebody that's dying. You might pray for the needs of people around the country or our J1 students that are here in Iowa. Please prayers. A third one we see here is I'm sorry prayers, which by the way, I listened to Stephen's message, great message. I'm so glad he's given up in Spirit Lake today. Okay, these are I'm sorry prayers, prayers of confession or prayers of help me get away from sin. Okay, I'm gonna give you one more. And there's more than four, but I always teach our students. There's your awesome prayers, please prayers, I'm sorry prayers, and there's thank you prayers, okay? An example would be Philippians 4, 6. Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in, 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 but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. So thank you prayers are very important too, okay? Thank you prayers. Um, the second point of application, and I think this is a big one, don't forget to listen. Prayer is not a one-way dialogue towards God, don't forget to listen. Slow down. Let there be silence and give God a chance to speak to you. Um, I'll just read this real quick. It's from 1 Kings 19. The headline is, The Lord Speaks to Elijah. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. This is the prophet Elijah, Old Testament. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. God's still small voice. I want to challenge you guys. Hey, from the young ones to the old ones, prayer ought to be a time where we come to God and it's not like, here's my wish list for the day, God. Here's my grocery list for the day, right? We're thanking him, we're praising him, we're asking of him, we're confessing to him, but we're also taking time where we try to silence everything else out and listen. I'm going to give you a couple places, I mean, some of these places, some of you, it'd be great to just, when you're alone in the car, just turn that radio off. Some of you, that might like be your only downtime for the day when you're going to get kids or you're going to get something, just, just, just let it be you and God. Um, for me, there was a time when we had four younger boys where about the only time I had was, was when I would shower. It was like the only time where I didn't have a kid bothering me, and that was my prayer closet in a sense. But you just find that time where it's just you, and it's silent, and you're alone, and listen to God. Talk with God, okay? Um, the third point of application is this. Appreciate the position God has given you. Wow. And I intentionally bookend this message with wow, because I think that's profound appreciate that position God has given you. 1 John, 1 John chapter 3. Remember, John was probably Jesus' closest best friend on earth. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Now, that's the ESV. Jordan, you like the ESV, don't you? You're pretty good on it. I like the ESV. That's my favorite one to preach out of. But I want to tell you, that didn't do it for me. So I went to the, the NIV. I wanted to read the NIV one to you, okay? So this is the NIV version. 
1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Now, that is good. Now, I don't usually go to the Amplified Bible because I like, you know, I like it real close to the, the original meat and potatoes. But, but I had to go to the Amplified for this one, so, so bear with me. Let me give you the third translation on this. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, the Amplified Bible. See what an incredible quality of love the Father has shown to us that we should be permitted to be named and called and counted the children of God, and so we are. Profound. Guys, we can read over this. We can say this hundreds of times. We get to speak to God. He wants a relationship with us, and he invites us to come as children, adopted children of his. So those are what we got there. Um, I will uh, wrap up with a quick... Uh, story of something that happened to me in Bible school, and Jordan can probably relate to this, Stephen can probably relate to this. When you're in Bible school and it's just a bunch of guys studying the Bible, you get into to really interesting conversations. The jokes are really lame. They only make sense in those circles, right? And I remember one night, we're all, it's after school, we've all had our theology classes, we're sitting in a room, and somebody says, hey, if you were in, name ta- in, in heaven and you had a name tag on, what would you put on your name tag? Like, besides your name, what would you have on it? And one person says, you know, I'd probably have Travis, chief of all sinners. He kind of took that from Paul, right? Travis, chief of all sinners. Uh, another one had uh, uh, Mark, you know, redeemed by grace. And I said, man, y'all are kind of downers. I was like, I would have Chris Snyder, son of God. And they all looked at me like a heretic or a blasphemer. They're like, uh, that's Jesus? And I'm like, okay, fair. So I was like, Chris Snyder, a son of God, right? Like an adopted son of God. But nevertheless, I am a sinner. I am a chief sinner. I'm a terrible sinner. It's been forgiven. I'm thankful for that. But you know where I hang my hat? You know, where, well, you know what my name tag is going to say? It's Chris Snyder. I, I'm, a, I'm an adopted child of God. Okay? I teach our, our teens, our young men and women, you are princes and princesses of the king. Hang on to that identity. So I want to wrap up with that. This great prayer that he sets before us as a model lets us come before the king, but we get to come as children. Uh, with that said, can I invite the worship team up? Can I invite the team up for communion?